0: The resurgence of the ransomware crypto locker and easing the burden on medical device manufacturers to assure the security of their products. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's report with the return of the ransomware CryptoLocker. Like the American author, Mark Twain, the report of its death was an exaggeration. To discuss the resurgence of CryptoLocker, I'm joined by Data Breach Today, Executive Editor, Matt Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hi, Eric. First off, Matt, remind listeners what CryptoLocker is and how it works.
1: Sure thing. CryptoLocker is one of any number of crypto locking ransomware families. If it gets installed on a system, it will typically encrypt a large number of different types of files. Once it's done, it'll flash a ransom message on screen. And if people wanna get their files back, they either need to pay the ransom, which security experts and law enforcement agencies don't recommend you do, or they need to restore a backup that they have and overwrite the malware-infected system.
0: Has CryptoLock a return or was it in hiding?
1: Cryptolocker is interesting in the history of malware because it ties to the Game Over Zeus gang. Game Over Zeus was a banking Trojan, and the gang behind it, which was disrupted in 2013, was also, a lot of the time, installing Cryptolocker on people's PCs. So they'd steal banking credentials, and then they'd lock the PCs and attempt to make some more money that way via ransoms. That arguably was the heyday of Cryptolocker, also known as Torrent Locker, amongst other names. But it hasn't gone away since then. It's It's not clear who's controlling the code, but it's definitely come back.
0: Is the latest version of CryptoLocker an evolution from earlier strains?
1: Yes, although it continues to add new types of capabilities. One of the most recent types, for example, which has been targeting users in Denmark with a localized Danish translation is designed to also steal people's usernames and passwords. It's doing double duty, if you will. It's ransomware, but it's also an information steal.
0: You have other examples of how the latest strain of CryptoLocker is causing havoc?
1: Yes, there is also an attack that targets Italy, although it's been seen elsewhere, that is in Italian. And it's using a digital signature from the Italian post. So it's a legitimate digital signature being used to sign the malware to make it look like it's not malware. That's been coming at people through email. In general, this is getting pumped out via spam emails, although occasionally CryptoLocker and other types of ransomware will get installed by malware droppers. So that's malware that infects a computer, and then it drops other kinds of malware onto the system as well.
0: What should uh, organizations do to mitigate the threat from CryptoLocker?
1: You have to prepare in advance. You need to have backups of all your systems. You need to make sure those backups are disconnected from the systems. In case there is a ransomware infection, it won't spread and also get the backups. Because a lot of these kinds of ransomware, including CryptoLocker, are designed to spread via network shares. So if it's connected to the PC that's infected, the ransomware will attempt to crypto lock it, thus increasing the footprint of the infection and the potential proceeds for attackers. If having a backup fails, then another good alternative is to use use a free decryptor. These aren't available for every strain of ransomware, but when they are available, it can be the quickest and easiest way to get your system back.
0: Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. More attention is being placed on medical device manufacturers assuring the security of the networked equipment they produce. Are medical device manufacturers making more secure products used to treat patients? To answer that question, I'm joined by Healthcare Info Security Executive Editor, Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. Are managers doing a better job securing the medical devices they produce?
2: Slowly but surely, manufacturers seem to be getting better, at least with taking steps to secure devices in the pipeline. That's according to manufacturers' submissions on their devices under development with the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA in 2014 issued pre-market guidance on securing medical devices for appropriate type of cybersecurity risk assessment to be performed during design and development. The risk assessment, includes such elements as conducting hazard analysis and providing a traceability matrix. And many device makers seem to be heeding the advice. Suzanne Schwartz is a physician and associate director for science and strategic partnerships at the FDA's Center for Device and Radiological Health. And Schwartz says the level of details of manufacturer submissions is gradually and incrementally improving.
3: And our staff, our reviewers, will ask questions in response to the material that's received. We are interactively going through that process, and we will and have held off from allowing new devices to go onto the market if we do not feel that the questions that we have related to cybersecurity are not adequately addressed to our level of satisfaction.
0: You made reference to a fact sheet. What's that about?
2: The fact sheet aims to bust so-called common myths that the FDA often hears about medical device cybersecurity. For instance, when it comes to post-market medical devices or legacy devices that are already in use by healthcare providers like hospitals, in its fact sheet, FDA addresses the false claim that medical device makers aren't allowed to update their products with software patches to address cybersecurity. In fact, FDA says medical device makers can always update a medical device for cybersecurity. In fact, the FDA does not typically need to review changes made to medical devices solely to strengthen cybersecurity. And Schwartz suggests that manufacturers that adhere to the fact sheet will find a process that's much smoother in addressing cybersecurity concerns.
3: Changes that are being made solely to address cybersecurity, one does not need to recertify with the FDA. What the manufacturer does need to do is to assure that the update or patch or measure that is going to be deployed is appropriately validated and is appropriately documented within the manufacturer's own records.
2: Though the federal government wants manufacturers to address cybersecurity in medical devices so that the products are safe for patients, Schwartz says she does not want the FDA to be. That impediment, that roadblock that would in some ways
3: slow down the process of advancing the security within the entire ecosystem at large.
2: Schwartz says that her staff is open to inquiries from medical device makers to clarify the agency's guidance via email, telephone, or in-person visits.
0: Thanks, Marianne.
2: You're welcome, Erica.
0: You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. In cyber-related criminal cases, sometimes prosecutors must drop charges against defendants to protect the clandestine techniques law enforcement employs to collect information online against suspects. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk tells us about one case where that happened.
4: Federal prosecutors have opted to drop charges against a child pornography suspect rather than reveal a hacking technique used to ensnare him. It's a move that is sparking heated debate and one that highlights the complications that arise in court with legal hacking techniques. The case involves a Washington State middle school teacher. It is one of dozens initiated by prosecutors against people who allegedly visited Playpen, a now-shuttered child pornography website. The FBI obtained a warrant to exploit a software vulnerability in order to obtain the real IP addresses of people browsing to Playpen. The website used a feature of the Tor anonymity network to obscure its real IP address as well as that of its visitors. As a result, Jay McCod was arrested in July 2015. Law enforcement has struggled to investigate websites using the Torah feature, which is known as hidden services. It offers protection for those with legitimate privacy needs, but conversely, greater security for lawbreakers, such as online drug dealers. In February 2016, a federal judge ordered the government to turn over information on the vulnerability as part of discovery in McCod's case. Last week, the government moved to drop the indictment against him, saying disclosure of the information is not an option. The dismissal doesn't doesn't mean McCod is off the hook. The government could file new charges if the Statutes of Limitations hasn't expired, and if the government is eventually in a position to provide the information. Presumably, it means the government perhaps sees a future for the hacking technique in other investigations. That has revived a long-running debate over the government's obligations to inform software vendors about security problems in their products. The case is also pushing into new legal ground. If the government can't reveal sensitive hacking techniques, there is a chance, as in the McCod case, that the cases would have to be dropped. In some circumstances, the information would be considered material and have to be revealed as part of discovery. Ultimately, prosecutors don't want to be in a position of having to drop cases because classified material would be revealed. Susan Hennessy is a managing editor of the Lawfare blog and a Brookings Fellow in National Security Law. She contends that Congress may need to create a legislative framework with procedures for handling privileged law enforcement information. That would be so prosecutions and perhaps ongoing investigations would not be compromised. For Information Security Media Group, I'm
0: Jeremy Kirk. Finally. Consumer Reports has published a digital privacy and security standard for consumers it says will help guide companies in the design of mobile and internet-connected products and services such as smart appliances, mobile apps, and software. The standard will identify and address potential risks in the data security and privacy of digitally connected products. The Consumer Protection Organization says another goal of the standard is to protect personal information obtained by products, apps, and services after they've been purchased. As an example, Consumer Reports cited its testing of the pregnancy and fertility app GLOW. That test showed potentially dangerous lapses in security in which a user's personal health information could be easily accessed by individuals with basic hacking skills. After the test, GLOW fixed the problem. Consumer Reports developed this standard with other privacy, security, and consumer rights organizations, and the first version of the standard is available at the website thedigitalstandard.org. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.